Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season three of the Talking with Traders podcast series with me, Garth McKenzie. Backed by popular demand following the first two seasons, I'll bring you a string of interviews over the next 10 weeks with a number of seasoned traders in my network to give you a first-hand insight into how they trade the world's financial markets so successfully. The first two seasons of this podcast have had over 20,000 downloads of the interviews, so I've used this traction to seek greater global reach for the third season. A special word of thanks must go to our sponsors, IG Markets, for continuing to fund this podcast and to allow it to flourish. In season three of Talking with Traders, I've gone beyond the borders of South Africa to speak to traders from across the globe. I'll ask pertinent questions of each of my guests to really try and get them to open up about what makes them consistently successful when it comes to taking on the world's financial markets. Joining me on today's Talking with Traders podcast is my partner in crime, Andrew Todd. Um, this interview comes with popular demand from a lot of our clients, our traderscorner.co.za clients, who've asked that I interview Andrew on one of these uh, Talking with Traders podcasts. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. It's going to be great to chat to you over the next 45 minutes or so. Yeah, thanks a lot, Garth. I think a lot of people have called me the Stig over the years because they haven't really known who I'm, at, who I am. So yeah, here I am. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You are like the Stig of Traders Corner. You, you know, you're there in the background, but nobody really knows who who you are. And being in the background is, um, you know, is is no small role. I must say, you've been a great partner to be by my side over the last more than a decade um, of running Traders Corner. And although you haven't been in the limelight with it. All, your contribution has been immense and a lot of people probably don't appreciate or realize just how much of a contribution you've made to Traders Corner over the years. No, thanks very much and likewise. I mean, it's been awesome working with you over the years and yeah, we've had some great times over the years and some good stories to share. Yeah, well, that's it. And we're going to share some of those stories on this podcast interview now. But for those who don't know, and most of the, the listeners won't know this, and most of our clients who followed us over the years won't know this, I mean, your and my history is quite interesting in the way that we met. Um, it was almost like a, a sort of destiny had in, in mind that we would need to be together at some form. Um, and the way we met originally was in London, actually. I was in, in London. I'd been transferred over for a brief project with the company that I was working for in 2002. And you were doing, uh, I think, a bit of a gap year um, in London at that stage after your studies. And yeah, that's great. We met at a, a pub in Putney um, through a mutual friend of ours. And we went and we actually watched the Barry Hilton uh, comedy gig in Putney at some place. And um, shared a couple of beers and had a chat and it was a nice evening and it was just one of those things, you know, we got on well and at the end of the night sort of said, cool, nice to meet you, see you around, cheers kind of thing. And, uh, and then lo and behold, about two weeks later, you and I were both writing our CFA exams, which um, neither of us passed and neither of us finished our CFAs. But lo and behold, who, who do we each bump into? We bump into each other effectively sitting next to each other, writing our CFA exams at Wembley. In no, and the, the incredible thing about that is that there were thousands and thousands of people. So the odds of that happening were quite slim. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was just the first of many occasions, but I'll let you carry on. Yeah, well, that's right. And then <laughs> after that, I returned back to Johannesburg and uh, I went out one evening to Night Fever and those 
of our era will know Night Fever in four ways was a very popular nightclub at the time. And uh, lo and behold, who did I bump into? You. And you had just also flown back into South Africa that morning. And uh, yeah, so just another, another one of these chance encounters. And this happened time and time again. And um, I remember the other time, there were many of these strange sort of instances. But the one, that, one of the ones that really stood out for me was playing cricket. I played club cricket for Hilson Park. And you played, and I think you do still play for Old Parks. And uh, yes. lo and behold, one afternoon, who turns up at the cricket pitch is Andrew Todd. And you opened the batting for Old Parks and I was fielding at uh, square leg. And I remember taking the best catch of my entire cricketing career. And it happened to be your wicket that I took. So, I know it was one of those things. I actually, I just knew that it was just destiny that uh, you were going to catch me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so strange. And then the, the, the last sort of strange encounter, I guess, was when we... Um, yeah, I was at that stage working at BOE, running the futures trading desk, and this guy called Andrew phones up and wants to open a, a trading account. At that stage, I don't even think I knew your surname, um, but the no. voice kind of sounded familiar. And anyhow, it turned out to be you. So you ended up opening a trading account with me to trade single stock futures at uh, BOE uh, back in about 2003, it would have been then, or 2004 yeah, maybe. Um, and I remember you opened your account with about 30,000 Rand and gradually you built that up and you actually, I remember out of all of our clients, you really stood out and you built that 30,000 Rand up to a hundred thousand Rand over a while and then continued to build it up and build it up. Um, and it was impressive. Your style of trading was impressive and the way you went about things was impressive. And it's, uh, you know, I think we built up a friendship, uh, through, through, obviously me being the broker, you being the client, but it built up a friendship which has lasted ever since then. And ultimately uh, what cemented our, our working relationship, I suppose, was that we were looking for another trader on the desk at BOE. And I knew you wanted to get into the markets in a more formal capacity uh, from what you were doing. And I managed to yeah. pull as many strings as I could to get you on the desk there. And that was how we started working together. And that was basically in 2005 that we officially started working together. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yes, but, it was one of those things that I'd always say, like, I'll let you carry on. Yeah, so, so yeah, but yeah, go, go on and tell us how you got into the market before that, because I've actually done most of the talking and this is supposed to be an interview <laughs> with you. But, <laughs> but I mean, what, what got you into the market before all of that? So it was basically when I was in uh, university at Ra, and I sort of picked up a couple of newspapers and I looked at these share prices and I just thought, sure, like, I wonder how this all works. And I started reading about it and I just looked at all the share prices and then I started to see that they go up and down and a lot of the time they would go up quite handsomely. And I thought, oh, this is very, very interesting. Let me read up about this. So did a bit of research and a bit of reading um, and I thought, yeah, I want to get involved in this. So I was actually waitering at the time in a restaurant. So I thought, well, let me get together some money, um, which I managed to do, um, built it up. Um, and I mean, I had to work hard in the restaurant to get together a bit of cash in order to start trading. So I opened up a, just a normal little broker broking account um, and I started trading some warrants and I'll never ever forget it. Uh, my first warrant I ever traded was one CPX. It was a Comparex warrant. Um, and I think at the time, uh, it was sort of at the height of the, the dot-com bubble. So obviously all these internet stocks and uh, computer-related stocks were going crazy. Um, and I think there was some sort of buyout on the cards. I can't really remember. But 
in TrueStyle, now when you first start off with a small account, what you do is you you gear the thing up so that there's you know lots of carrying in it and lots of risk, and you put all your money on red or black, and that's pretty much what I did. And I was very fortunate in the fact that uh, it actually came off, and I think that's what enticed me into trading. I actually had a friend at the time um, that I also got involved with this one CPX warrant, and he actually bought his first car off that, and it was the only trade he ever did in his whole life. And I think that's where the uh, the start of my trading career came about. Um, and then I studied my uh, honors in investments at Ra, and then I thought, yeah, I really want to try and pursue this as a career. Went overseas for a while. Uh, you told the story with regards to how we met, and then I started trading, and I just thought, yeah, I want to, I want to do this as a career. So I just learned as much as I could. I read, and I suppose it's just really a case of just uh, trial by error, really. Um, and yeah, just managed to, I had, I had a bit of a knack for it. And yeah, then I was fortunate enough to, I knew I had the perseverance. I just needed to get the break. And I was very fortunate enough to, our uh, paths uh, crossed and yeah, uh, started working on the desk with you, which was great. Yeah, and that's how absolutely. it all started. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we had a lot of fun back in those days. So there was a bull market that went from 2003 until 2008 when the financial crisis hit. But during those years, we had a huge amount of fun um, working together and, and generally with our team at BOE. Um, and there's lots and lots of stories to tell, which you know, we, we don't have enough time to tell all of them, unfortunately. But there's one particular story which I'd love to chat about with you, and and you'll know the client that I'm referring to. And obviously, for the for the client's uh, protection, we won't mention any names. But we we had a spectacular situation where a guy came to us in about 2004, wanting to trade single stock futures. Um, had never done it before. Reasonably wealthy guy. And he put a bit of money in his account, dabbled a little bit. And ultimately, once he had figured it out and got his feet wet and sort of knew how futures worked, he then decided to top his account up to 3 million rand and then start gearing, gearing the hell out of this account effectively. And ultimately, I mean, I tell people the story and it's, they, they struggle to believe it. But from 2004 until 2008, he grew that capital from 3 million up in, he grew it to 140 million. Uh, yeah, that's that absolutely a crazy story. I also I really enjoy telling people it because it's just so mind blowing. It, it is a mind blowing story, and and the thing is, I mean, he obviously you know was very heavily geared, and as the market went in his favour, he geared it more, and and the account grew. But he also saw some very very big swings in that account over the years. He saw the de- you know uh, drawdowns of 40. 40% sometimes uh, on that account. So big money was made and lost along the way. But ultimately, you know, we got to that early part of 2008 and interest rates were very high at that stage. They were sitting at about 14% was your borrowing cost on single stock futures. And we uh, worked out that at that stage, you had an exposure of approximately half a billion rand uh, on an account of around about 140 million rand of actual equity value. And um, we thought that, you know, just purely based on the funding cost, he was going to lose half his money in 2008 based on the interest rates being where they were purely on the level of gearing and on, on where interest rates were. And we tried and tried and tried to talk him out of the out of holding and uh, to, to basically take the money and, and run. There's a lot of money. Even today, that's a lot of money. But it was, you know, we're talking now 2008 money, 140 million rand was a huge amount of money. And uh, unfortunately, the story doesn't end well, does it? 
No, I also I'll never ever forget that when he he said when he got to 140 million that he'd take us out for dinner, and we all went out for dinner and it was a really awesome evening. And in the back of my mind, it just didn't sit right with me, and I just felt like oh, the fact that he's taking us out for dinner and we're having a great time is probably going to be the exact turning point. And it actually turned out to be within a couple of months the the dramatic turnaround that we saw ahead of the financial crisis. Yeah, that's it. And obviously, in the end, what happened was the markets crashed in late 2008 and into early 2009. And he ended up losing the entire amount. And I think by the time we actually closed out the last position in that futures account of his, I think he had about 75,000 Rand left. This is an absolutely yeah. mind-bending story. It is crazy. And I suppose, but one of the big lessons that you can sort of take out of that is, what I, I think he did really well is that he managed to um, have enough of a cash buffer behind his account. So he always made sure that he had 50% of his account in cash. So you'd have massive exposure, but he'd have sufficient cash in order to ride through the, the choppy periods and the big drawdowns. Yeah, that's right. And of course, that worked throughout that bull market from 2004 yes. until 2008. But the reality is that was a very linear bull market. And uh, yes, there were yes. some big drawdowns. You know, there were some 20% pullbacks in that market during that time. But as you say, he had enough of a cash buffer in his futures account to be able to wear those mark-to-market drawdowns and ultimately still bounce back again. The trouble was that eventually the, the big one did get him. And, uh, yep. and and he ultimately was too exposed in the market crash of 2008. And as we, as I said, he basically lost all of that money uh, that he had that he had put in, and of the 140 million rand that he had made over that uh, relatively short period of time. So absolutely mind-bending story. Uh, just shows you what greed can do as well. Yeah, greed, absolutely. The two emotions that drive the markets, typically greed and fear. And that was definitely greed. Um, you know, it's just unbelievable. And that was yeah, you know, a, a story of, of note. I mean, that was probably the biggest story of our careers as, as retail brokers. But there were many, many other re, uh, stories of clients that we saw you know, being successful and unsuccessful over the years. Um, yes. And to that extent, I mean, yours and my careers now obviously have followed the same path since we've worked together for the last 15 years. But, you know, both of us come from effectively a retail trading environment. We don't come from an interbank uh, prop trading environment. We've not been institutional brokers. You know, we were, we yes. were retail futures brokers. So we were dealing with you know, mom and pop and average retail clients on a day-to-day basis, which I think was very interesting. And I, I consider that to be probably a good thing in terms of our own development as traders. The reason yes, I, I think, it gives, of, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. a lot of, a lot of the interbank big brokers uh, and, and prop traders on trading with big money, that's not necessarily your own money. It's the bank's money. You know, take those guys out of that environment. Very often it's very, very difficult for them to trade when it's, when it's actually their money on the line and it's not the bank's money on the line. No, definitely. I think also you get taken away from the flows. So we, we wouldn't really see any of the big flows, you know, that were coming in um, as in big institutions. You know, on the retail side of things, you know, like you said, we just have the moms and the pops um, and the retail clients. You know, we weren't dealing with massive big flows. So we sort of had to sort of uh, step in the footsteps of the institution, so to speak. So we had to sort of um, uh, get behind them rather than sort of make forge the path. Um, yeah. And I think that's where it was a bit 
more difficult for the some of those big guys that sit on those big institutional desks is that they don't really have the the retail experience in terms of forging their own path, so to speak, with yes. no disrespect to them. But um, so I think we're a bit more in the trenches, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it forced us to really look at price action and look at and learn technical analysis and try and see what the market was doing and know that we didn't have the flows. We didn't know that there was you know a big institutional order coming in to buy XYZ stock and you can just, you know, f- go with that flow. We had to try and yes. decipher, you know, by looking at the trading action in the market to try and understand what was going on. And I think it was a yeah, We had to sort of crack our own codes. Yeah, absolutely. We did. And it, it was fun. I mean, obviously, we had big ups and downs ourselves over those years. Um, I, I certainly had some major ups and some major downs, which you were, uh, you know, right by my side with. Uh, and and what I think I was a psychologist was, on the other side. <laughs> you certainly have been my psychologist a couple of times. In my, my biggest story ever was, um, and you'll obviously recall this, you and I were digs mates because not only did we work together but at that stage we actually shared a digs together in about 2006 and we, yourself and me and one other guy and uh, the three of us lived in this house together in Milanshof. and um, I had one evening or one 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 time uh, decided to go very heavily geared on a gold fields trade and it, it very nearly wiped me out um, it was a yeah essentially a book build when Norris Nickel was uh, going to sell 20% of their stake in, in gold fields. And, um, and I'd seen these book builds come and go. And every time I thought, well, whenever there's a book build, all that happens is the price gets depressed for the short term and then it just recovers straight away. And I'd seen this over and over and over. And it, I thought well, the next one that comes along, I'm absolutely going to smash this out the park. And of course th- it happened to be gold fields. So I did. And I went and I, massively overgeared myself on a position and while i was sitting long of this huge position in gold fields the gold price promptly collapsed by 30 dollars, which at that stage was about a five or seven percent drop in the gold price and of course yeah you were by my side as i just about wiped <laughs> myself out completely with that trade um, but don't you find it quite in- interesting that you know whenever you get you know, like yourself or you see these other traders that they have these massive big bets um, there's very few guys that actually managed to pull them off. It's quite interesting. It's sort yeah. of uh, the probability of those massive big bets coming off where you think you're going to um, hit it out the park. They more often than not don't come right. And uh, yeah, I think it's quite important that, you know, to try and keep your emotional capital intact. Um, Cause you know, as we've known over the years, that that's quite a, an important uh, element of trading and, that emotional capital just gets absolutely slammed when you have these huge big positions like that. Well, that's so true. And that's what I wanted to get into is to say, you know, obviously, I've, I've, fortunately, I managed to survive that position and I came back and, um, and I've never done anything quite as silly as that again in my career. It was a very, very big lesson that I learned about gearing and how things can go wrong in the market. Um, but you and I witnessed many uh, similar sort of disaster stories through our exposure as retail brokers. And, yes. and and I think we, we kind of learned an appreciation for risk um, in many cases through other people's eyes and through seeing the experiences of some of our clients at certain times. Um, no, and that definitely. was probably a, a, a very good grounding. But you've always been somewhat less of a gunslinger. Um, you've, you know, you've had your, your few knocks and things, but I mean, you've never taken big hits like I took a couple of no, hits at I've, some point. I've tried my best to be relatively consistent. I think that's 
that's what I try and aim to do. I try to be pretty consistent um, in terms of my trading and also uh, my account. Um, I should probably take on a lot more risk, but uh, I suppose it's in my nature not to take on excessive risk. And I have done it in the past. And I think my, my biggest one uh, in recent years is I managed to get myself in a huge big knot and I, I sold SAB call options. It was basically just a, um, it was a buyout of uh, Anheuser-Busch or buy Anheuser-Busch. And all I was really doing is just there was a buyout price and I sold some call options. And the only thing that didn't really need to happen was the RAND to weaken. Well, lo and behold, the RAND weakened dramatically. And thank goodness I managed to hedge against these options because I would have been absolutely carried out. Um, so I think that was a huge big lesson for me in terms of risk. And yeah, I think that also sort of tempered my, my risk uh, over the last couple of years. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, look, <clears throat> nothing like uh, a few scars to teach you a lesson or two about this mar- the markets. And reality is that pretty much everybody I've interviewed on these podcasts has got some scars to show for their time in the markets. It's, uh, you know, there's ups and downs. I think it's just, game. yes, I think it's just important to learn from them. I think, uh, you know, it's a bit silly, you know, going through these huge big roller coasters and, uh, you know, these uh, destroying your emotional capital. Um, but you need to try and learn from these uh, big mistakes that you make. You don't want to keep on making them. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the trading is is one of those pursuits that it's you can't really go and study trading, and you can't get a degree in trading or a honors in trading. It just doesn't exist. It's one of those things that you have to do on the job. But I think what what's such a misconception out there amongst people is that you can just go and attend a course on the weekend and buy some software, and then you can start trading and do it successfully. Um, and in any other profession in this life, you know, you want to become a doctor or a lawyer or a, uh, architect, you know, you've got to go and study and put thousands of hours of work into that to become one of those professionals. Um, trading has this mystique about it, which is, you know, where people believe that you don't need to put that amount of time in, but the truth is quite the opposite. You, you definitely do need to put the hours in and there's just absolutely no substitute for experience in this game. No, definitely. It basically, uh, you get a QBE. It's called Qualified by Experience. That's your degree. Yeah, that's <laughs> the degree. That's the degree. Quite right. But talking of qualifications, I mean, you do actually have a, um, a qualification, which you've done in the years that we've known one another. You've got a CMT qualification. That's the Chartered Markets Technician qualification. So it's a technical yes, analysis-based qualification. Tell us a little bit about that and how that has helped you in your trading over the years. Yeah, so I saw a couple of guys, um, I got it in, I think it was 2012. Um, there were a couple of guys in the US that were talking about this qualification, uh, Chartered Market Technician, CMT. And uh, I looked into it and really looked interesting. So it was more from sort of a personal perspective that I took it on. Um, and it's three modules. Uh, the first one is multiple choice. The second one is multiple choice. There's quite a lot of reading that uh, is involved with it. Um, so I put a fair amount of time into it. And then the third level uh, is basically like a, a written uh, test, which is about four hours, I think. Um, and then you have to submit a dissertation in order to get your, your CMT. 
Um, so it involves a heck of a lot of work. But uh, what's really nice is that it sort of forced me to focus um, in terms of technical analysis and also then to sort of put it all together, which I really enjoyed doing. So, yeah, from that perspective, I enjoyed doing that um, CMT. And more importantly, I learned a heck of a lot, which was really good. Yeah, I, mean, I can certainly say, having worked side by side with you over the years, that after you did that CMT qualification, there was absolutely no doubt that your your proficiency as a technical analyst went up leaps and bounds, and you could see the um, the way that oh, you thank you. the market came. You know, it just became a whole lot more professional, very process driven, and you you know this you understand the setups really really well. Um, yeah, I think it also and, just it tries to sort of bring in a lot of um, uh, sort of the economics and you know interest rates and flows of money and if one thing does this something should, else should do this and sort of tries to bring it all together which is quite nice mm. yeah it's a good qualification and i think yeah you know, what i wanted to ask you is round qualifications you know you and i both get approached by youngsters often wanting to get into this business they want to become traders um nowadays the youngsters that are coming through, a lot of them have obviously got degrees, honors degrees, and even CFA qualifications. I mean, I must say, yes. I, I'd shudder to think how I would fare if I was one of the youngsters coming through now, because you know, there's a huge amount of, of talented competition coming through the ranks in terms of the the, re, the real youngsters, you know, the, the 22-year-olds, the 24-year-olds. No, most definitely. Um, and, and I know that certainly from a qualification perspective, and I'm not up to speed in, in that respect, I've just got experience on my side. Um, but you know, what would you say to a youngster now regarding you know, studying a CFA or a CMT? Where would you direct them if they specifically want to become a trader? Look, I think um, to, to do a CFA, I mean, I wrote CFA level one twice, um, and I think my heart wasn't really in it. Like, I didn't really want to become an analyst. So I think it's one of those things, if you want to do a CFA, you need to want to go the route of becoming an analyst to analyze companies um, and go more the fundamental uh, route. Um, it's not to say that it's going to hurt having a good underlying uh, understanding of you know, the basics of, well, not the basics, uh, it's a bit more advanced than that, but have a, a good underlying understanding of um, the fundamentals behind a company. But, you know, if you're going to become a trader, I don't really believe that a CFA is going to help you at all, in my own opinion. Mm. Um, I think you're going to probably have a lot more success in doing something like a CMT or actually just reading um, as much as you can um, in terms of uh, a lot of available content that's out there on Twitter and um, the Internet and, and so forth. Um, and doing the, the odd course here and there. I think you're going to be better in terms of honing your trading skills doing that and also, you know, basically getting stuck in yourself and trading your own money. Um, so yeah, the CMT route, if you want to become a trader, I think is probably better. Um, the CFA route is probably if you, better if you want to get involved becoming an analyst um, and getting a job in that route. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. And from your CMT and the, the lessons that you learned on that, I mean, you know, technicals obviously are what you and I do and, and we love it. But are there any specific setups that you really love the most that you like to trade? I won't say specifically that came from um, the CMT course. I think it's just really a case of, you know, the sort of setups that have developed over the years. Um, I would say that the falling wedges um, into like a 15 exponential moving average and then a rising wedge um, into a, a 15 period exponential moving average on any time frame really. I think those are two of the best setups. 
essentially what's happening is um, you're buying a pullback in a, an uptrend with a falling wedge and with a rising wedge, you're just shorting a rally within a downtrend. So you're trading with the trend. I think that's the most important aspect to trading, I believe, is to try and trade with the trend. And any new trader out there, and if you can try and trade with the trend, it's going to help you a heck of a lot rather than trying to go against the trend. I think it's sort of programmed into our minds that because when something's becoming cheaper, uh, you want to go and buy it. You know, you're not going to go to the shops and say, hi, can I please, uh, you know, you're selling something for 10 Rand, can I buy it for 15 Rand? Uh, whereas in the stock market, when something was 10 Rand and now it becomes 5 Rand, uh, you instantly you know, want to go and buy it because it's cheaper. And with trading, you want to actually try and stick to the strongest stocks rather than the weaker stocks. So that's why I quite like that sort of setup. Um, but it's not to say that you can't trade against the trend, and that's why I've become a huge big fan of pivot trading over the last couple of years. Um, and I'm just finding more and more that trading with pivots is becoming you know, quite a big thing, um, and it's just amazing how they work. So I've put quite a lot of work into that over the last couple of years. And quite interestingly, there's actually not a lot of educational material out there on uh, trading with pivots. So I'm sort of trying to bring up about a bit more education in that arena. Yeah, well, through our traderscorner.co.za service, you, you, you publish the pivot levels every month on the S&P 500 and on the top 40 index and then also on the RAND dollar exchange rate. And also having watched you know, all of that analysis month after month, it's, it's remarkable how reliable it is and how sticky those pivot points can be. So I think anything yeah, you can do there yeah, is, is very helpful. And I mean, for those listening to this podcast who don't know um, about what you and I do, I mean, we both effectively run traderscorner.co.za and that's where we share our trading ideas each day in the daily game plan. And, and once a week, we share our um, analysis on a, on a week's watch list where we look ahead to the week ahead and what stocks on the, the local market and on the offshore market are setting up technically. Um, and what I like about that and what I think where you and I work well together is we, we're honest with one another. So we can bring our ideas to the table and, and you know, be honest with one another and say, oh, I think your idea is you know, rubbish or, or, or vice versa. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and through doing that, you know, we, we actually filter out some good stuff and we've had great success over the years. So it's, it's been a lot of fun um, to, to do that and work together in that respect and, and running traderscorner.co.za and putting the analysis together every day. Um, and, and there's a passion that you exhibit, we both exhibit it, but you exhibit it, which no, is sure. unparalleled and it makes it a pleasure to uh, work with somebody who's so passionate. No, well, thanks. Yeah, I think it's one of those things also, it's uh, even though you're getting up really early, um, two hours earlier now than normal, um, yeah, you also you know, share the same passion as me. And it's a case of, you know, I look forward to getting to my desk every single morning, sometimes even with a small, mild hangover, but uh, I'm still there and I'm, I'm still raring to go. Yeah. yeah, I must say it does certainly take a big passion to wake up at 4 a.m. On a, in a UK winter, uh, you know, three and a half hours before the sun comes up to, to start putting that analysis together but you're right i mean it's a it's a pleasure to do this work and it's um it's fun every day in the market is new and exciting but no, moving away from that um you know what what do you feel in general makes a successful trader if you had to sum it up um it's a bit cliched but you know obviously risk management and stop losses are 
are very, very important. And I think for me personally, that's where I'm pretty good. Um, I can take a stop loss. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I think sometimes I'm almost too good. Like uh, if it doesn't feel right off the bat, I'm not scared to cut it straight away, um, which sometimes doesn't work in my favor because I don't really give myself enough opportunity for the trade to work out. Um, so I'll stop out quite often. Um, but yeah, risk management is vitally important. Um, as I alluded to earlier on, trading with a trend is also very, very important. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that we try our best to do on Traders Corner um, in terms of promoting the proper trading principles. And it's a case of just try your best. I mean, it's not going to happen all the time. And there are going to be special situations where, you know, you can trade against the trend. But generally speaking, if you can align yourself with the trend, I think that goes a long way in becoming a successful trader. Yeah, it certainly puts the odds of probability in your favor. And that's what we've found over the years. Um, trade with the trends. And, and as you say, the, the continuation patterns you alluded to, the yeah. rising wedges in a, in a falling trend and a falling wedge in a, in a rising trend. You know, those types yeah. of setups and obviously your triangles and your bull flags and bear flags. I mean, we've found that those sort of setups work very, very well over the years. And it is a higher probability way of trading purely because you've got the trend and you've got the momentum on your side. No, definitely. I think it's a case of just keeping it simple, trying to find a technical pattern that aligns with the trend. I mean, that's why I'm not the biggest fan of head and shoulders patterns because they're, they're going against the trend mm. um, and they're too easy to spot. So that's why a lot of the time, in my opinion, they tend to fail. So I, I prefer to try and stay away from the head and shoulders patterns or try and get in on the trade before the, the break through the neckline. Mm. Um, but yeah, I suppose also another thing I'd say is that having a good gut feel for the market also goes a long way. Um, and you, I suppose that comes with experience. You can't really teach that. But yeah, sometimes you just get a, a gut feel that something's not right. Um, and yeah, I think that also helps in trading. Yeah. It certainly does, but you're right. The gut feel comes with time and with experience. You can't, um, you can't teach that gut feel. Really, just you just have no. to do the do the years in the market to develop that gut feel. And I think it's also important to actually have uh, sort of your your line in the water in terms of having your own money on the line. Um, trading a, a demo account versus trading, you know, real life money. Um, that's yeah, it's very different because there's no emotions involved in a demo account. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Joe Bassett is one of the guys I interviewed in the beginning of this season of talking with traders, and he's a hedge fund manager in the US. And in his words, he was like, oh, man, take your demo account and throw it in the trash. Because, <laughs> you know, in his, uh, in his mind, it's just it doesn't, it, it's fine, I suppose, if you want to use a demo account to learn how a system works and how you place buy and sell orders and for, from that logistical perspective. But when it comes to actually the feel of trading and the feel of making and losing money and how you're going to react emotionally. You can't get that off a demo account. You have to do that with, with real money. Um, no, definitely. I, mean, I think it's also, yeah, sorry, go, carry on. On. go on. Um, no, I think it's also a case of, you know, over the years, you've known, I've done quite a lot of focus in terms of trying to get algorithmic trading going, but uh, yeah, I've sort of come up with a couple of plans here and there, but also that sort of speaks to a demo versus real account. You know, I've had a couple of demo algos that I've uh, done. And then when I've put them into uh, a live trading environment, yeah, they work for sort of uh, two, three months and then fall over. So, yeah, that's something I'm still, it's still a passion of mine. I'm still trying to get right. 
Um, but yeah, I suppose it speaks to the demo versus you need to actually have the money, um, you know, on the line, so to speak. Yes, absolutely. As we're winding it towards the end of the allotted time that we've got for this podcast, um, yeah, if you had to go back to your back to the time when we met, I suppose, when we were in our early twenties, I was, I think I was 22, you were probably 24 at the time. Um, you know, what would you say to yourself? What bit of advice would you give to yourself at now with the extra two decades that we've managed to strap onto our lives since then? Uh, if you could go yeah, back I'd and say, have a conversation, what would you tell yourself then? Yeah, I'd say uh, probably the biggest thing is trading with the trend. Because um, I, I did, and I still do, I still like to trade against the trend. But if you're going to trade against the trend, you need to make sure that you adhere to a stop loss um, and that you're comfortable taking a stop loss. So I'd say uh, sticking with the trend is very important. Um, I'd like to have read up more on pivot points. Um, I wish that I had pivot points around uh, when I first started trading. I think my trading would have been exponentially better just in terms of how the price action respects these pivot levels um, and just gives you the added confidence to go into a trade. Um, and then also uh, that 15 EMA, I don't know why, but it just works so well. I wish I'd discovered that earlier on in my career. Um, I'd, I know that you also quite enjoy using it, but yeah, that 15 EMA on any time frame really, uh, really works well. Um, I'd say also sticking to strong stocks, so stocks that are above a 50-day moving average or above the 15 exponential moving average on a daily time uh, basis or even on a monthly time basis. I think that's also one of the biggest things that I learned, um, and only probably over the last say four or five years, um, in terms of an investment account. If, you know, it's easy to get into stocks and hold them for a long period of time. But I found that if you take two consecutive closes below a 15 EMA on a monthly basis, that'll give you a, a sort of a good indication if a stock uh, is starting to roll over. And you know, hopefully the listeners can go and you know, take a look at this on any chart on a monthly basis and just pull up that 15 EMA. And if you're looking to get out of a certain investment, uh, Know, two consecutive monthly closes below that 15 EMA can actually save you quite a lot of money. Um, I got out of a lot of my stocks in the South African market in about 2016, 2017, based purely on that uh, monthly 15 EMA. So I wish I'd actually known about that uh, at the start of my career. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I remember when you did that and we, we discussed it at length when we were chatting uh, about how you can utilize that type of methodology to get you out of your long-term position so that you don't get sucked into a, you know, a Steinhoff or a Aspen that's dropped yes. 75% or a PPC or an EOH. I mean, we can rattle off, yeah. you know, a I don't have enough fingers yeah. and toes yeah. on my body <laughs> to, to list the stocks that have, that you could have been saved from by following such a simple uh, technical filter in terms of getting out. Yes. Of the uh, it, it really works well especially from a longer term perspective. Um, and that's why I'm, I've, I've exited uh, all my positions was based uh, purely on that a couple of years back. Yeah, um, and you, you did well to get out. So yeah, just that's something, just uh, a negative information that works quite well from a, an investment standpoint. Yes, yes. And finally now, um, I always ask all of the guests on the podcast series about books. And I know you've read quite a few books over the years. Um, but are there any particular books that you would suggest or the podcasts or something to study? You know, what would you suggest that uh, anyone who really t wants to take this business seriously should 
try to consume from an intellectual perspective? I think um, actually there's a lot of information on Twitter and that's why I really enjoy Twitter, uh, you know, just from a trading perspective because there's lots of guys around the world that are willing to share a heck of a lot of information um, and you can pick up on the little pieces that they sort of put out there and, you know, they, a lot of them are subscription-based but they'll put out um, lots of information that you can learn from. So I think that's a huge big uh, win for any uh, new trader that's starting out. And you can just go and look at my profile on my Twitter account and you'll be able to see all the guys I follow. And yeah, you can just uh, use Twitter. I think that works well. Um, the books, uh, I think one of my favorite books is Pitbull by Marty Schwartz. I think that's, uh, I love that book. It's got some, uh, he tells his life story, but then it's also got some lessons behind it. I really enjoyed that. Then obviously the Market Wizards books. Uh, there's obviously the new one that's coming out. I think in two days time or I think it's tomorrow maybe even. Yeah, the third of November uh, tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. So those books are also really, really good books. Um, and then oh, the other one that I, uh, if anyone asks me, I always say that Technical Analysis Explained by Martin Pring. I think that's just a, if you wanting to get involved in trading, uh, he encompasses the basics of technical analysis really, really well. So um, I think that's a book to to read if you haven't. And then one that's also quite interesting is Freakonomics. I don't know if you've read any of the Freakonomics books. Yes. I, um, I just I like the stories behind those. And it's not really trading related, but I enjoy the, the stories behind that and the stats. Um, yeah, that's light reading. And so I really enjoy those sort of things. Mm, fantastic. All right, Andrew. Well, we've uh, reached the end of our lot of time for this podcast, but um, I, I, I would say I could carry on talking to you for hours and hours. Unfortunately, I do get the privilege of being able to talk to you for hours and hours each day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll probably catch up again straight after this interview. But thanks very much for chatting to me on Talking with Traders. Uh, and I'm sure that the listeners to this podcast are really going to enjoy what we've just spoken about. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Awesome. And thanks for all the good years. No, definitely. Likewise. More to come. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking with Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.